0: I like that music, it makes me want to mosey up here. You know, it's just kind of—I like, got all time, all time in the world. I just mosey on up. I like that music. Hey, uh, so good to have you here today. And if this is your first time with us, man, just welcome. I hope I get a chance to meet you uh, today before you go home. Now, in case you didn't know, we've been announcing this for a few weeks now. But just in case, for somehow you missed that, today is our annual church picnic. How many of you been to that before that event? All right, I see a lot of hands going up. I see a lot of hands that haven't been up. Let me just tell you, I hope that you're planning to spend... Uh, this afternoon with us. It starts, you can come as early as two o'clock. It's gonna be right across the street over here at Reardon Hall. We've got the pool, we've got the miniature golf, we've got these inflatable obstacle course coming that are coming for the kids. And for some of you adults that wanna brave that as well, you can do that too, okay? Some young at heart people. Um, we're gonna have a great time of fellowship. There's gonna be a great meal that's gonna be about five o'clock tonight. Um, it's, just gonna, it's just one of those things. I, I've been telling each service that every year we do this, picnic it's I go home after it's all over and I lay down to go to bed and I just kind of have this thought it's good you know this this is good and I'll tell you it's it's I hope you're gonna come it's gonna be a great thing now you might be sitting there going hey you know what honey we meant to sign up for that and and if you didn't sign up guess what you get to do you get to come anyway So I want you to come. So if you're like going, I I didn't sign up for that. Oh no, I can't come. Forget that. You can come. We'd love for you. We've made all the preparations. So you just come and you enjoy your church family. That's what this event is all about. So that's uh, starting anytime after two o'clock, you can come. It's going to be a great time. And I need to tell you, bring a lawn chair too, because we do run out of picnic tables fairly quickly. So bring a lawn chair. And basically we just kind of spread out. I, I sometimes wonder, What do people think when they're driving up Reardon Road and they see all of us over there? And hopefully they'll go, man, that seems like a happening church where things are going on. And so, and I hope our response would be, come join us. We'd love to have you. So that's tonight. I hope you'll be there. So last week we finished off our drifting series. And I've had to wrestle with this question uh, for a while now. What do you preach about the weekend after you finish a series like Drifting? You know, like, what, 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 comes, what comes next? Well, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna shift gears a little bit as a church. We're not gonna talk so much anymore for a while about the dangers that, that we face as Christians and, and this dragging or this drifting towards the secular. We're, we're not gonna talk so much about those things that are pulling us away, but rather we're gonna spend some time talking about those things that are pulling us together. Specifically, what's pulling the New Life Christian Church together? What is keeping us together? The Bible does such a good job at uh, sharing with us what the dangers of drifting are. So now let's uh, spend some time exploring what the Bible says are the joys of unity. We're going to talk about that. What's it going to look like to live within God's vision, to live within God's design of the church? Now, let's start with the obvious, okay? Let's get the obvious out of the way so we don't have to talk about it anymore. The obvious is this. There is no such thing as a perfect church, and I think we can all agree on that one. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. If you're like here going, I think i found the perfect church, um, give us time. <laughs> give us some time. We will shoot down that notion uh, for you. No, there is no such thing as a perfect church, um, How I would describe new life, and if you've been around here for any length of time, you've probably heard me use language similar to this before. I would say that we are a fellowship of the imperfect. We're not trying to be perfect. We're a fellowship of the imperfect. We, as a church family, have a strong desire to grow and to become what God wants us to be, to fulfill his purposes in our own lives and through the life of this congregation. We are a church that is squarely anchored on God's word. We are committed to upholding God's vision and His design for His church. And we understand that apart from the deep love of God, apart from the grace that He bestowed upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, apart from that, none of us would be here today. So if you've got problems, you're in good company if you've got some struggles, if you walked in here and said, I'm just struggling with this, well, I think you've probably found your people. And if you're if one of those people that are like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do about this, I'm just going to have to depend and trust completely on God, well, welcome to the club. God cares more about where you're going than where you've been, and if you believe that, then I would say welcome to the New Life family. There is no such thing as a perfect church because there is no such thing as a perfect person but I will tell you this there are no perfect churches but there are great churches there's no perfect church but there are great churches and the bible warns us about the dangers of drifting churches but it also paints for us a clear picture of what a great church looks like and one thing that great churches all have in common is this do you know what it is It's not awesome buildings, although I will say having a great facility is a wonderful tool. But that's not what makes a church great. I love the fact that we have incredible worship services and and God's brought all kinds of talented people that can lead us in worship. I can tell you, I'd rather be a part of a great worship service than a boring one, wouldn't you? But that's not what makes a church great. It's not a church's ability to provide all kinds of different ministries to address all kinds of different concerns that people may have, although that's a wonderful thing that a church can do, but that's not what makes it a great church. All great churches have learned that when it comes to living out our faith in Jesus Christ, great churches understand that we do that better when we're together They know that walking for Christ daily can be a difficult thing, and we were never meant to do that alone. And so they have figured out a way to build into the life of this church, or their church, this wonderful word that we call community. And it's an extremely important concept, And, and if you look at a great church, I can tell you what makes it great is they figured out how to pull all these people together like a family, The Bible tells us in in Hebrews chapter 10 some very important information about this very idea. So if you've got your Bible, could you go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 10 and just keep that on your lap because that's where we're going to be today. And feel free to grab one of the Bibles that are in the pockets in front of you and and grab Hebrews chapter 10 and open it up. Um, It's going to be on the screens behind me as well. So there's lots of ways you can see it, but I just... Maybe I'm just old-fashioned that way. I think there's a lot of value in bringing your Bible to church and opening your Bible and having it there for you to read it. So I'm going to keep encouraging you to do that and provide you with all kinds of opportunities to read the Scriptures through online or on the screens or any other way. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, the Apostle Paul, he gives these three declarations to the church. And all three declarations begin with the phrase, "'Let us.'" So, as we read this together, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 22, I want you to pay very close attention to when Paul says, let us. All right, this is what he says. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us... Hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another along towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another and, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So as we read that, did you see Paul's three let us declarations in our text this morning? The first one's in verse 22, and what does he say? Let us draw near to God. He's like, come on church, this is what we're supposed to do. Let us all draw near to God. By the time Paul wrote this, the church is around 35 to 40 years old. So that's how far the church has gone. You know, Jesus has been gone now for about 35, 40 years. And so Christianity isn't a brand new thing. Anymore, Some of these people have been Christians for a while now. And so Paul is telling church, like, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, we still need to make an active part of our lives, this drawing close, coming near to God. This is a personal thing. This is an individual thing. It's between you and God. And so how the church is made up is that each and every one of us is working hard to walk daily with God, drawing near to Him. And collectively, when we all do that together, the church matures and grows spiritually at the same time. So Paul's saying, come on church, let's all invest in this walk with God. Now he uses some language in our scripture, you probably saw it, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. It would have made perfect sense to the Christians he was writing to, but right here in Bella Vista in the year 2018, it's a little bit of a head scratcher. The language that he says is, When he talks about drawing near to God he says, sprinkled to cleanse and bodies washed with pure water. What in the world is he talking about? What does he mean by that? What does that have to do with drawing near to God? The reason why the Christians he was writing to would have understood this clearly is because they were so much more familiar with the priestly duties in the temple because when a priest would come before the Lord and would need to perform his priestly duties, he would usually go through a series of washings and purification processes that had to do with water and, and cleansing. Before a priest um, could go to the holy place, he would have to cleanse himself in the laver. And, and there was this, this ceremonial washing. And Paul knows. That the people would have related to that. That, okay, so it's like a priest, when he goes before God, when he draws into God's presence, he's got to go in there clean. So what Paul is telling the Christians is this. A Christian draws near to God with a pure heart and a clear conscience. When I was in Israel last summer, we visited the, the Western Wall, also known the Wailing Wall. Has anybody in here seen that with their own eyes before? I mean, it's, it's a famous place. I mean, it's it probably one of the most holy places to a Jewish person. Um, it is, this wall really is about the only remnant left of the second temple. And uh, this wall is just below the area that Jesus was when he went into the temple that day and he cleared out all the money changers and those selling animals that we looked at in our drifting series. This wall is, just sits right below the area that Jesus did that. So this is a very special place, it's a, it's, a, it's a holy place, not just to Jewish people, but to, to many Christians as well. And when I visited there, I, I noticed that all throughout the day, people go there to pray, and I noticed that in the plaza area around the wall, there is a special place where people can wash their hands. And literally, I just stood there, I shot some video of it, but, but people would come up to pray, but before they approached the wall, they would, they would wash themselves at these washing stations and and these washing stations have a very specific purpose so a jewish individual would would come to the wall but first he would go to this station he'd fill up these silver buckets full of water and then he would wash his hands it's like a process of purification it's a little bit of a ceremonial kind of purification, but it carries with it this idea that I'm coming to the wall, I'm drawing near to God, and I'm coming into his presence, and I'm coming there ceremonially clean, if you will. I'm coming with clean hands and a clean heart. It's this kind of imagery that Paul wanted the Christians to understand, that when you draw near to God, you do it as a holy person living a holy life clean, clear conscience before the Lord. There's something powerful when the church, individually, we come together and we draw near to God with this same kind of understanding. God, you're holy. You're you're incredible. I want to know you more and thank you for your grace and your forgiveness and, and washing my sins away. We come to the Lord holy. Second thing he says in verse 23, he says, let us hold on to hope. There was a constant temptation for these early Christians to completely walk away from the faith. We read about it in just about every book of the New Testament. To either just abandon the faith altogether or to go back to the old covenant sacrificial system of the temple and sacrifices. Constant temptation. Some of that was because of false teaching. Others of it was because of persecution. And these Christians that Paul is writing to were definitely facing persecution for their faith. And so Paul, what he's doing, he said, listen, let's draw near, let us, the church, draw near to God, and then let us hold on to the word he uses is hope. Now, what does he mean by hope? What's understood in the book of Hebrews, where hope is a major theme, hope means hope in the return of Christ, that one day we're going to be in heaven forever with God. So Paul is saying, let's draw near to God. Let's not lose sight that Jesus is coming back and we are going to be in heaven forever. Great churches are filled with people who are understanding these truths. We're going to draw near to God and hold on to hope. And then in verse 24, he gives us the third let us declaration. He says, let us consider how we can do this. How we can spur one another along towards love and good deeds. How we can encourage each other to continue to get together and and meet together until God comes and takes us home. He says, let us consider... I think there is some freedom here in what we consider. The goal is what? To encourage and to spur one another along. But he said, let's consider how we do that. Let's think about it. Let's contemplate some ideas. Let's brainstorm together and think through, as a church family, how we can better spur one another along towards good deeds and love. It's almost like Paul is saying, come on, church, surely we've got some good ideas out there. We can figure this out. He doesn't tell us how to do it. But he's saying, come on, church, figure this out. If you read the whole book of Hebrews, it becomes obvious that the Christians he was writing to has some fellowship issues. Some of them weren't even meeting together anymore. Fellowship was drifting away. This togetherness was not there. There was a serious lack of encouragement in the church. And so Paul is like, let's draw near to God, let's hold on to hope, and you guys figure out how to spur one another along in their walk. So right here you have these three giant themes. You have faith, draw near to God. You have this idea of hope, hold on to the hope, and then spur one another along in love. Right here you have faith, hope, and love. These three things are the very fruit of our fellowship. And when I think about great churches and I think about healthy churches, they exhibit all three of these things, faith, hope, and love. Now, I could spend multiple sermons teaching on just each one of those things, but for the rest of our time today and into next week, I want us to focus on Paul's third let us declaration when he said, let us consider how we can spur one another along. Because I think this is such an important thing as a church family. He doesn't tell us how, but he tells us to consider it and to brainstorm and to think and to come up with some ideas. How can we be in all this together for, for everyone. Now, if you're taking notes today, I know some of you like to write down notes or take notes on, on if you're following along online, I, I want you to write something down if you're taking notes. This is going to blow you away. I want you to remember this. If you don't remember anything else, and if you still got hair on your head, if you're one of the lucky souls, this right here might blow the rest of it right off your head, all right? Are you ready for this? Get ready. It's going to shock you. We need each other shocking, isn't it? We need each other. Now, I don't know if you've ever spent much time thinking about this, but it's clearly printed all over the New Testament. God designed each of us to need one another. And from the very beginning, you can go back to the book of Genesis and you can see where where this need comes out. It's recognized. It's, It's in all of us. You remember when God created um, the whole world and He created the, the, he separated the ground from the sky and the seas and the land and, and the sun, moon, and stars? You walk down through the creation story, how He put vegetation on the land and birds in the air and fish in the sea and livestock. And what did God say at the end of every day of creation? What did He say? It is good. And then He created the first person. His name was Adam, and, and God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to rule over it, to take care of it, and then something changed. God looked at what He created, and for the first time, what did He say? It is not good. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord said this, It is not good for man to be, what? Alone. God saw loneliness. God saw an individual going through life without anyone else and God said that's not good that's not a good thing so so God in 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 his wisdom created a woman her name was Eve and in one swoop of God's creative hand the, the whole population of the world went from one to two like that I don't know if you've ever thought about it very much But God put inside of each of us a need that can only be fulfilled by somebody else. God put inside each and every one of us a need, a hunger, a longing, something that can only be fulfilled by somebody else. It's one of the main reasons for why marriage makes so much sense. But this need for other people, it's broader and larger than marriage. Because marriage or no marriage, you still have this need that only somebody else can fulfill. And we have this need that somebody else can fulfill in our life that also leads us to a deeper, richer walk with Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons For why right here at New Life we are very passionate about life groups. Because when the Apostle Paul said to the church, let us consider... Let us think about, let's contemplate, let's brainstorm, let's come up with some ideas about how we can spur one another along in love and good deeds. Well, we took that seriously, and so we spent time considering, how are we going to do that? What's the best path forward for making that happen? And so life groups really just makes a lot of sense in helping people draw near to God, holding on to the hope, and and spurring one another along towards love and good deeds, The Bible tells us that our walk with God is deeply impacted by our relationships with other people. Did you know that? Your walk with God right now is deeply impacted. By other people. I'm going to read you a series of verses out of the Bible. They're from all over the New Testament. I'm not going to give you the references right now, but if you'd like the references, you can get them on the Today's Message card that's online. They're all printed there. But just listen to this and, 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 and absorb this idea that our walk with God is deeply impacted by other people. It says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Agree with one another. Serve one another in love. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Encourage one another and build each other up. Live in peace with each other. Try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. The bottom line is this. This It's very clear when you collectively take what the Bible says. Is that God designed people to need each other. And God has established the perfect setup for this need to be met. And it's called the church. When I think about us together, and I hope everybody would be in agreement with this. But we are a group of people that commonly are held together by this faith that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is that faith that unites all of us together. And it's within the, the faith community. Our church is designed to best meet this need that each of us has that only other people can fill. The church. The church. And honestly, I think... As we've considered how to go about this, life groups just possibly could be one of the very best things for your walk with the Lord. In case you don't know much about our life groups, let me just tell you that a life group typically consists of about 10 to 12 adults. They meet once a week, usually in somebody's home. Every life group has a leader, or we refer to them as a facilitator. You might think of them as a ringleader for the group. Um, Together in our life groups, we study God's Word together, we pray together, and we enjoy the fellowship of believers. And our hope is that each life group fulfills the very words of the Apostle Paul, that together we draw near to God, we hold on to hope, and we spur one another along in love and good deeds. I love it when I hear stories come from our life groups about how relationships are growing and friendships are developing, and there's this mutual dependency on one another and so much growth is happening. I love hearing these stories. I, I love it when somebody tells me, you know, when I started in this life group, I really didn't know anybody, but now they have become my very best friends. It is this life group that took me from where New Life is, the place that I went to church, and, it, and it, through this life group, I learned that this is my family that I belong to. I'm a firm believer that, that, uh, that uh, New Life will never be anything more than the place you attend church until you get to know people and build these relationships, and then it becomes your very family. But I love hearing these stories. I love hearing stories about how uh, there was a need in a life group, and the people in that life group just came around that person. They met that need. They prayed together. They watched God do his thing. And, And I love it when I can say things like this. I never knew that happened. And they say, well, of course not, because our life group handled it. I love that. It's the church being the church. It's this, what's happening is there's this need inside of all of us that only other people can fulfill. And when the church family are the ones meeting those needs, it is a beautiful, awesome thing that happens within the church. For me, life groups just spotlight this truth that we are better together. I think even Jesus modeled this for us. You look at Jesus' three years on earth, you know, he didn't do that alone. Jesus had a small group. You ever thought about it like that before? He had a small group. They're called disciples. There was like Peter and his brother Andrew, there was James and John, there was Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas and Matthew and another James and Thaddeus and Simon and Judas. There was a small group that Jesus went everywhere with. They prayed together. They grew from, from their learning the word together. They fellowship. They took care of each other. They were actively involved in the ministry. I can't find one example of any Lone Ranger disciples. When Jesus would send them out to do ministry, he would send them out two by two because they weren't going to do it by themselves. And even within this group of 12, Jesus had three friends that were extremely close, Peter, James, and John. Jesus invested his life into a smaller group of people. It kind of makes sense then when we consider how we're going to spur one another along towards love and good deeds. That maybe there's an example that Jesus gave us in this very thing. The first church, the earliest Christians, they were dependent on these smaller groups of people, these life group kind of environments, if you will. It says in Acts 2.42, one of the first things we learn about this, these early Christians, it says for they, it's talking about these early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is things that Jesus taught the apostles and they taught the church, which later became the New Testament. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, that Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it does not mean coffee and donuts, it means doing life together. It means being involved in and these deep, rich relationships within the community of faith. That's what they were devoted to. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, or we'd simplify. They were devoted to God's Word. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread, which means they're never going to forget that Christ died for them. And they devoted themselves to prayer. This was done in people's homes. It was done daily. And uh, it, was, it was a big deal. The Bible also tells us right after that, as this got going, about the activities of, of this early church. They, they, they were together. They had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. From the very beginning, built into the life of the church was this idea. We need each other if this is going to be successful. That there is something that all of us have that only other people can fulfill. We need each other. And what a great way to fulfill that need in the context of The church. I love the way Rick Warren, pastor at Saddleback, he wrote The Purpose-Driven Life. I love the way he describes the church. He says this: the church is not a building, it's not an institution, it's not an organization, it's not a club, it is a family. A lot of people say, Well, I'm gonna go to church as if church is the place you go to. That's not correct. Church is not a place to go to, it's a family belong to. Big difference, it's more than a building, more than a service, it's a family. I would hate this would ever happen, but if there was a strong wind that knocked this building over tomorrow, the New Life Church would still exist. Because this building doesn't identify who we are. Our faith in Christ is what makes us who we are. We're a family. And we weren't meant to walk through this life alone. Here's one other thought that I don't know if you've thought much about before, but I want to bring it to your attention. We need each other so bad that there are parts of the Bible that would be impossible for us to obey and fulfill without other people in our lives. I mean, This is how big this need is. That there are parts of the Bible you can't follow without other people in your life. Now consider these verses I'm going to share with you. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron... So one man sharpens another. How do you do that all alone? You can't. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says this, Love the brotherhood of believers. How, how do you do that alone? 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. How do you do that alone First peter four nine or four eight or four nine says, Offer hospitality to one another. How do you do that alone? Galatians chapter six verse two carry each other 's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ that with this together this this need also involves Carrying each other's burden. It really means walking with somebody through the challenges of life. How do you do that alone? Hebrews 10, 25, we've read it before, we'll read it again. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. Do you understand that our gathering, our fellowship, Goes right along with encouragement. They go together. But you may not realize this, but your very presence today is probably an encouragement to somebody else. And someone else's presence is an encouragement to you. Because gathering together and encouragement go together like peanut butter and jelly, they just go together. There's things that we cannot live up to in the Bible alone. The references can go on and on, but we need each other. And here's what I'd like to, to ask you to do. If you are not in a life group right now, if currently you're not signed up for one, if you're not in one, I would like for you to pray and consider joining one. Uh, you know, I, I, just, I just think if you just put this before God and, 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 and take some of the things that we're learning today, and just put that before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? And if he leads you to jump into a life group, I think that would be a great thing. In, in your bullets, and Taylor mentioned this already, but you have this sign-up thing. Here, here's how I approach things like this. If I feel like maybe God wants me to do something, then, then I pray on it, and then I fill it out, and I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust God that you know more than me, and, 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 and I'm just going to trust you. And so I'd like to ask you to pray and consider. And if God's leading you towards the life group environment, put it in his hands and and, and sign up for the next group link. Group link is going to happen on September 9th. That's what that sign up signs you up for. And uh, that's our way as we consider and think through how we can spur one another along. That's our way to help people plug into groups and so we'll help assign you to a group and get you connected with people we we try to take a lot of the work out of your hands for you and so you come to this incredible just fun um, enjoyable evening called group link and uh and let god do his thing now if you are already in a life group if you're there then man praise god Here's what I want to ask you to do. So, you know sometime before you go home today or maybe to, tonight at the picnic, find somebody that's already in your life group. let them know how much that means to you. Let them know that you, you just love the fact that, that you guys get to walk through life together. And if God gives you the opportunity, then maybe you can find somebody maybe at the picnic tonight that's, that's not right now in a life group and maybe God will give you the opportunity to share with them. you know what? one of the best things about my experience in a life group, is this he designed us to need each other and as we consider how to how to fulfill that need I think life groups is a great great move for everybody before we go I want you to do something I want everybody to look this way and just just find somebody that's going to be off to your right and and just see them just pick somebody you don't have to know who they are you don't have to know their name You don't even have to have ever talked to them. And if you're over here and nobody is that way, then just look this way. Or look behind you. Or visualize somebody. What I'd like to ask you to do, you you got them in your mind, you see who they are? I want you to pray for them. And I want you to just take a moment and pray for that person. And I want you to pray, God, I pray that this individual that you're looking at will experience this this wonderful need being fulfilled by somebody great relationship that will enhance your walk with Jesus, that will help them draw near to God, hold on to hope and spur one another on in your own words, could you pray that for that person that you just looked at, would you, you, I'm going to give you a moment to do that now I'm going to ask you to do the same thing but let's look this way Let's look in the opposite direction. You see somebody? Did did you make? Did you just see him? Doesn't matter. You just pick somebody and just trust the Lord led you to that person. And I want you to pray the same thing for that person. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to be the kind of church that Paul describes here in the book of Hebrews. That Lord, I pray that, would, that, uh, that faith, hope, and love would be the fruit of this congregation. That, Lord, that each and every one of us would draw near to you. And that, Lord, we would never lose our hope in the return of your son, Jesus. And that, Lord, you would help us to understand and identify and know that the problems and the struggles we have in this life are temporary. And we get to be with you forever. And it would be wonderful. Lord, I pray you help us hold on that hope. And, Lord, I pray that as a church family, we will always consider ways that we can spur one another along to love and good deeds, and that, Lord, we would be a place where so much encouragement would flow out of here because we spend time together, we fellowship together, and we don't neglect getting together. And, Lord, I just pray that these things would be exhibited here, and that, Lord, we would always know that we are better together. In Jesus' name, amen.